Hey everybody, welcome back to the Pixelist Podcast. The podcast about all the nerdy things we love and enjoy. As always, I'm your host, Will. That's your co-host, or that's that's my co-host, Blake. And uh, today we're here to talk about some critical role. I'm a man of the people, you know? (laughs) That's right. I need to stop, like, I get so excited in the intro, I need to stop interrupting you. Because you're like, what's up? And I'm like, hey! And you're like, hang on, I'm trying to say who we are and what we're doing no don't so. do that keep going i like it the <laughs> like more energy the better later, i'm just like screaming into the microphone <laughs> <laughs> you're like okay that actually is too much so uh what is up my man how's it going it's going good man i uh we're we're recording this one's at a not really a typical time for us so i'm just kind of unwinding at the end of my well toward the end of my day today yeah, um, at the end of the day so we about we have about as long as it takes for like my daughter to like claw her way into <laughs> my office. <laughs> Perfect. So yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I mean I'm doing well. You know, it's kind of been uh, I don't need to tell you this, you know it, but we've had a rainy couple of last days, and that's like my favorite type of vibe and weather. So I've been I've been enjoying it. How about yourself? Nice. I've liked the weather, but I've had a little bit of vertigo, unfortunately. Mm. So it kind of makes a lot of things difficult. Um, but I'm here and I'm excited to talk some critical role. Uh, I feel like we got some other programming too. We got we got Rings of Power, which I mm-hmm. think we're gonna record at some point this week. Yeah. Um I guess that's it actually. <laughs> <laughs> at least at least yeah. we got. We're out of we're out of out of tricks at, at that point. So I know yep. at some point my wife and I will watch She-Hulk, but obviously like whatever video we would do would be long, <laughs> would be long, uh, out of time. I, um, for what it's worth and for any of y'all that, that watched it as well, um, I guess maybe I'm sure no one's going to comment about She-Hulk, but for anyone that else that did watch it, I would like to hear your thoughts maybe in the comments, maybe drop a spoiler warning or something, but I actually enjoyed it. So I would, uh, I would recommend Bro, that y'all I- do watch it and what I've learned is that there's, there's a lot of people who are mad about She-Hulk. It kind of kills my vibe for like wanting to watch it. I'm like, I don't know. People are really seem real pissed off about She-Hulk. I mean, and rings of power. There's just a group of people out there who are getting pretty, uh, you know, Hey, for our listeners, maybe, maybe, maybe a little bit of you, you know, we get all, we all get a little passionate about things we care about, you know, the MCU, Lord of the Rings, you know, what have you. Yeah. But I, I, I don't know. It feels like we're getting a little bit into the territory of maybe spending a little bit too much time getting angry. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of like, like, I, and this is how little time this is. I have too much time because I watched like a 30 minute video today of someone who was so angry about Rings of Power. And I was like, at some point I was like, bro, um, maybe you just need to like not watch it. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I guess maybe we could talk about, I was about to, I was about to dive further on that, but I guess since we're doing an episode, remember that because I want to ask you about yeah, okay. like what that video was criticizing. Um, not that it, I mean, it, it definitely has, has oh, its for flaws sure. for sure. But anyway, I, I mean, guess I, I love, we never did an official video on it. It's coming. Uh, <laughs> I enjoyed Witcher too, but it's not a good show, you know? I'm the first yeah. one to say that. So we're, I mean, I feel like the Witcher, the Witcher two video is coming at some point. <laughs> so I want to save my thoughts, but yeah, it's not like it's Bro. not an award-winning show. You know, not, what do you say? How long are you going to save these thoughts for? <laughs> like, I feel like my friend and I, we've never had a conversation about this show because we keep saving it for the podcast. Like, 
it's going to be season four. Well, it'll probably be canceled by then, honestly. Don't but, you dare say that. <laughs> six seasons in a movie. That's right. But yeah, you're, it's you're, it's not going to win any awards, but it's it's like the movie The it's Rundown fun. with The Rock. That's a great you know movie. movie? <laughs> I mean, yes. It's a fun movie. movie. It's a fun it, movie. It, it is a fun movie to watch one time. No, it's yeah. I've watched that one a few times, like growing up. Oh my there's some movies that are like hey, that is a piece of art and then there's some things that are just like fun like a popcorn movie you know blue streak yeah and there's with nothing Martin wrong West. with those there's room for yeah. both things to exist big mama's house why, why am i stuck on martin lawrence movies <laughs> i don't know <laughs> there was a phase in my life where that's just all i watched so look blue streak was great though it was it i was. wonder if it still you holds up you're right, though, because it's a great question, because there are some things that you watch that you loved as a kid, and you're kind of like, hmm. Like, they couldn't do that today. Yeah, I don't know stuff. about that. Yeah. So, anyhow, what are we doing today? What is this? Oh, yeah, <laughs> we've, we've, we've gone <laughs> everywhere. Um, today, we're talking about Critical Role, specifically episode 38, yep. 38, A Dark Balance, which, look at us, we're on top of things with the titles recently. Um. Yep. And I guess, I guess let's just jump into our normal thing here before I get us off track again. But if you're new to us, we're the Pixelists. Hello. Um, we like to recap every episode of Critical Role. Long content. Sometimes you need a quick refresher, especially before we're about to dive in and theorize and discuss. Um, so we recap every episode before we jump into our normal podcast. And we cut that out, host that separately on YouTube for your convenience. So if you happen to find yourself on the recap video right now and you're interested in the meat and potatoes of our discussion, breaking down the episode, you can find that linked in the description box below. Um, and with that out of the way, I guess we will jump into said recap, um, which uh, Blake, would you want to tackle the first half this week? Yeah. So this is episode 38 of Campaign 3 of Critical Role, and it was called A Dark Balance. And this episode opened up, it was a crazy episode. Uh, it opened up where the previous episode left off, which goes without saying. <laughs> um, <laughs> the episode opens up, though, where the party has just sundered the upside down sun tree, as I'm going to call it. And Delilah has screeched and everything instantly went to white as each party member popped up back in um, this ritual room with Pike and Vexalia. Uh, immediately, it's kind of like a, did it work? You know, what did this, was this for nothing? Like, are we good to res our friend back? And Pike immediately puts her hand over uh, De uh, Delilah, Ladna, and basically to the dismay of the party says, Delilah's still there. She's still there. She's still connected. Uh, maybe be some truth to what Delilah said about how there's no way to actually separate them. Who knows? Uh, but Pike does say it's heavily reduced. And so they're kind of like, so? And Pike's like, okay, Vixalia, do you think I should do this? And Vex is like, let's do it. So she casts her um, resurrection spell. Uh, there's a little bit of a joke where um, Ladna's not breathing and everyone's kind of like, oh no, she's she's always that way. Um, Ladna pops up. Uh, Marisha comes back to the table. Such a sweet moment seeing uh, Laura Bailey and Marisha hugging. And it yeah. you come to find out that Vexalia um, has drawn her bow. There's two guards, two pale guards that are invisible in the room that have their guns 
pointed at Laudna. And they're very quickly like, quick, tell us something that only you would know that Delilah wouldn't know. Because they weren't sure if this was going to bring back Delilah or Laudna. Um, she asked Imogen about her mother. It's kind of like an, oh, yay, it's Laudna. And uh, Vex actually opens the door to reveal a troop of Pale Guard and Percy surrounding the house, ready to obliterate <laughs> this thing yeah. if Delilah is the one who was to come back. Everyone kind of has their sweet moments, their their welcome backs. Um, uh, oh, I you know, dude, I forgot like the most meaningful part of this resurrection. By the way, um, before the resurrection worked, Matt actually had three people say a few words to Ladna, Orem, uh, FCG, and Imogen. All had these very meaningful um, request to Ladna to come back to life, basically with Orem rolling an 11 FCG rolling a natural one and, uh, Imogen rolling a six Pike fortunately rolled a 16. So the spell went through, uh, but it'll be interesting to see if there's any repercussions from that at all. Um, all that to say, uh, they see this troop around the house. Um, Vex is basically like stand down. Everything's okay. Um, and Percy actually approaches the house and does have a conversation with Ladna. It's kind of like, Hey, I'm sorry that, you know, we're kind of the reason this happened to you. Vex says something similar also. And Pike also gives Ladna a hug, um, and a couple other people, including Fern, who it's just so funny at the table when Fern like gets this look, when Ashley Johnson gets this look, everyone just knows <laughs> what she's thinking. She tries to slide a hand, steal the holy symbol off of Pike with a 17 fails and pike there's kind of this funny moment of like oh, oh it's stuck on me oops you know <laughs> my bad and pike encourages her to come back and visit her at the bakery um in plain sight uh <laughs> the party decides to head to the sun tree laden is like i want to i want to see it um you know this place where she died uh, she goes to the sun tree she puts her face to the sun tree and feels the warmth of the sun tree in fact as she's doing this um she does something you might have to help with me here will she does like her form of dread but it's yeah. different i think she describes maybe matt describes um flowers or branches coming off of her yeah. um so i'm not sure if her patron has changed or what's happened there um, but it was very different so we'll have to talk about that in the episode uh and then she actually is going to cast fine familiar and Pate, who gets dropped to the ground, oh transforms into her familiar Pate Dorolo with this deep Cockney accent <laughs> that is so good. And uh, is like, you know, I'm here and I'm so randy. <laughs> it's just so <laughs> funny. Um, anyway, you know, the, the, the party kind of, um, they meet Pate and have kind of a fun moment with, with Pate. And... From there, they're like, hey, we have to actually share some of this important information with Percy and Vex, the stuff that we figured out about Atahan and the stuff that they're 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 dealing with. Um, a dinner party is thrown. Um, there's some cool details there where like um the main course is gonna come out and Imogen tells Vex, hey, it's not lobster, is it? Because that's what she had the <laughs> night she was killed. And Vex is like, be back in a moment. <laughs> and then comes back and is like, I hope everyone loves potatoes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so some cool details there. But, um, and also even like Chetney asking about the clock tower that's in, that, in the uh, castle and things like that, or in the city. All this to say, getting to the point, um, after dinner, 
the party basically sits down with Percy and Vex and they say, hey, here's first things first. Someone's been stealing residuum. Um, they basically say, you know, we were aware that it was happening. We didn't know like exactly what was happening. We were fearful that maybe the Cerberus assembly was involved, but because there's such a well-known front facing institution, we didn't want to have to confront them because it's going to be very awkward. Um, party also mentions about the Apogee solstice. Um, and also additionally the, um, uh, Adahan Thule and, and including what they saw on Ruidus with the telescope, which Percy confirms what we've been talking about in our videos, that this in fact is, seems to be some kind of divine gate. He pulls out, um, some drawings or scribblings where that same lattice is described talking about the divine gate between Exandria and the outer plains. And says basically like, yeah, it, it's that's what it sounds like. Um, uh, Percy takes his leave. Um, Vexalia basically has a um, very kind of like warm final um, conversation points with um, the party and is going to give Ladna a ring that she's been holding on her finger. And it is a ring of protection plus one. And basically says... You know, hey, take care of yourself. Um, and it's sweet, this this um, kind of parental responsibility, responsibility they feel for Ladna. Um, the party then decides to retreat to go to bed, and Ladna says, hey, I think I feel more comfortable sleeping um, at the sun tree. And the party, you know, as one big happy family, they're like, all right, let's go. So they take their, I think Chetney calls them 50,000 thread count sheets <laughs> and <laughs> takes them out to the sun tree. Um, where they go to bed and then nothing bad ever happens after that. That's right. So, <laughs> <The end. laughs> so take us with the next half, my friend. Yep. So for the second half, we pick up with, you know, everyone camping around the sun tree and FCG, uh, is casting shared dream on Imogen, which they've basically been doing ever since they got that spell dating back to the, the airship. Um, and because of that, uh, FCG now, along with Imogen, of course, finds themselves in this red storm nightmare that Imogen has had right. many times before. They are standing in the field near her house, um, typically where she always is, and the storm is already all around them. Usually, you know, it's like approaching, but in this dream, it's already there. Right. Uh, Imogen can see this shadowed figure in front of her, like moving in the storm, but can't really tell what it is. You know, she warns FCG, hey, Odahan might be here. Be careful. So she tries to catch up to the shape. And uh, in so doing, she realizes that it is not the slender frame of Odahan, but rather it's this broader, more masculine shape. Um, and it's hard to make out the details beyond that in the storm, but she sees the figure stop, um, kind of briefly turn around and look over its shoulder, and then boom, it's gone. And Imogen has seen this before, both with Bertrand and the Loomis twins, so she immediately worries like somebody might have just died, and she worries it's Estros. Um, the storm get, then gets stronger, and so Imogen kind of picks up FCG and begins to will herself to fly, and not being tethered to the ground anymore, the both of them start to get basically jumbled all around by the storm. When they finally like you know regain themselves. Um, they look around to see where they are, and uh, 
it's 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 different. So they go back to the she flies back to the the ground, if you will, and it's like this cracked red ground, um, maroon kind of aesthetic everywhere around. And they look up and just see thousands and thousands of stars. And FCG's like, "Where are we?" And Imogen says, "We're on the moon." And then they kind of both wake up. So now the party has all gotten their long rest around the sun tree. And <clears throat> first things first, Fern actually tries to speak with the the sun tree and she takes the speak with plants spell <laughs> and has a quick conversation with it, basically asking about like, hey, like I need to make a portal and travel through you now. And the sun tree lets her know that uh, people make doors out of the trees like we don't do it ourselves. Um, but the sun tree's like, hey, if you learn how to do that, you know where I am. Fern then is like, esque. yes, it was, <laughs> it was so good to hear Matt do that voice again. Um, she then asks the sun tree, like, you're old, right? And he's like, yep, really old. And, uh, she's like, were you around back when there was only one moon? And the sun tree said, no, like there's always been two since I've been here. And, um, meanwhile, Laudna, you know, is inspecting that ring that Vex gave her and they're like, oh, let's give Laudna all of her stuff back. Um, and so Imogen is trying to give her back the Bloodwell vial, but Laudna tells her to just keep it like she could use it. Um, more than she can now. Uh, Imogen then is like, okay, she tells everybody about her dream and decides to send a message to Asheros and she's worried about him. And she basically just says like, are you alive? I had a dream. You know, please respond. Uh, but there is no response. Waits, waits, nothing. Uh, she's then like, okay, we got to get back to Drusar. Um <clears throat> But the party is like, well, we don't know what time it is there. Uh, I think it's really early. Like, maybe he's just asleep. And so they're like, okay, maybe. Um, they're like, well, wait, how do we even get back? And so then they remember uh, Manaya Ture, who was Estros's friend that owed him a favor. And they're like, let's talk to her. Maybe she can portal us back. Um, but let's wait a little bit just in case it is too early. And that's why, you know, Estros didn't respond. So they have some brunch. Um, and then as they're kind of like exiting the castle, they see Vex practicing at the archery range nearby. So they go speak with her again really quick. And Chetney's like, oh my gosh, that bow you have is amazing. By the way, I'm a master craftsman. If you or the castle ever need anything, like, let me know. And he kind of takes that moment to showcase his skills and gives Imogen her gift that he's been working on, which is like this finely crafted wooden horse. Um, Ashton then asks like, hey, are there any stores nearby? We kind of need to like restock before we head out. And... Vex is like, uh, a lot of people are prepping for the Apogee Solstice, but like, give me a sec, let me go check. And while Vex leaves them for a moment, FCG decides to reach out to Manaya Ture. They say, hey, we need transportation from the Sun Tree and Whitestone back to Drusar. Um, can you please come get us in exactly two hours? And she's like, boom, yep, don't be late. Um, Vex comes back and was like, hey, follow me. And she takes them to the Whitestone expansion of Gilmore's Glorious Goods. Uh, Gilmore's not in, uh, but Jerry is there to take care of them. <laughs> and uh, Matt basically classic says, <laughs> classic, uh, that um, the shopping will basically take place off screen so he can like prepare and like, you know, present them what items are available. But so we might learn about what they actually bought in the next episode, but they do go ahead and pick up three gla uh, greater healing potions and Fern also purchases this little trinket that Jerry personally made. That's this little Griffin toy that can fly around when a command word is spoken. 
After that, uh, FCG actually heads off by himself really quick to go to the Changebringer Temple, uh, which is the Horizon Temple, to meet with Guide Osley there. Because uh, I think he asked maybe Percy if there were right. any Changebringer Temples around Whitestone. Uh, FCG finds the temple and he finds Osley, who is just this unassuming man, I think, eating a bowl of yogurt like outside the temple. And FCG basically says, like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know my purpose. Like, I don't even really know why I'm here, but I'm here. And Osley's like, many people are drawn here looking for answers. Um, you know, I can tell you're inexperienced with faith. And FCG's like, I'm inexperienced with everything. And Ossie's like, you only need to open your heart and, you know, be ready to hear the change bringer's guidance. Um, he's like, your confidence will grow as you walk the path and each step you take will bring you closer. And in that conversation, he's actually like, roads are one of the most holy places for the change bringer. So just feel free to, you know, like pray or talk to her on your travels and she will guide you on the path. Um, and there's like an offering plate to leave things. So FCG's like wants to leave something, but is unsure of what to leave. And Sam says, I leave the concept of FCG's flesh tongue. Uh, <laughs> but then he also leaves some, I think, powdered incense and silver. Uh, yeah, right. And then he prays for the first time saying that, you know, I'll be listening and waiting and hoping to hear from you to let me know that like you're there. Mm-hmm. Party then reconvenes at the sun tree. At the appropriate time, they take the portal back through Jusar, opened by Manaya. She lets them know, hey, my favorite's paid. See you later. Uh, the party then immediately head to Estros's to check on him. They arrive at his house. Nothing looks off, but Imogen tries to send another message. Still no answer. FCG then casts Locate Creature, and this like golden thread points to inside the house as if he's in there. Um but they're like, okay, we should still be careful. So Chetney goes invisible, and um, Laudna is going to send Pate in to kind of scout. Chetney goes up, lockpicks the door. Pate makes his way in, starts scouting, can see that the place is kind of torn up. There's been a right. struggle here, blood on the ground, not looking good. Pate goes up the stairs into the bedroom and can see a body on the ground. And at this point, this information is conveyed to Chetney, so he starts following uh, again, still invisible, making his way into the room and does, in fact, see the body of Estros lying on the ground, hand kind of outstretched underneath the bed next to him. And Chetney can smell blood in the air and he can tell that something's off. Uh, there's something wrong or just off about the blood. And he can also smell Adahan's blood. So presumably it was her that came in here and attacked him. Uh, he then looks under the bed to see what Estros was reaching for and sees a little iron lockbox. <laughs> I think he rolls a natural one on his yeah. uh, check for traps. So he's like, yeah. oh, it's all clear. Uh, yeah. <laughs> grabs that. There's like a weighted plate that shifts and a big heavy item falls on both him and the body of Estros. Um, yeah, like, and now he's dead. <laughs> yeah. And yep, he's gone. Two death savings. Um. So then he gets this box, tries to open it, but can't. Then he inspects Estros's body and finds a key ring. One of the keys opens the box, and inside are a bunch of letters. And we'll talk more in depth about those in our discussion portion of the podcast. Um, but for now, the most important one here is that one of the letters is addressed to the Bell's Hells. I'm going to run through that really quick. Uh, it says... Uh, My friends, if indeed you have this letter in your hands, then my fate has finally caught up to me. 
I've done many violent things in my life, some I'm proud of, and some I still deeply regret. I've already been running on stolen time. I feel the looming specter of recompense with every morning, and since our paths have intertwined, I chose to stare down directly without lament. I could assure that I embraced my end with aplomb and left a mark on my foe they will never forget. In our relatively brief time together, you have brought a light in the world so continuously ruled by... Um, oh. Okay, now I don't remember if I transcribed this wrong or if there were like maybe parts that were... Well, Travis, as he was reading, he was like, "Oh, that's right." He was like, "Yada yada yada, yeah, get to the good stuff." You know? That's right, that's right. Okay, I was like, "Wait, did I forget parts?" So yeah, so they kind of Travis doesn't read the whole thing word for word. Um, you and the late Bertrand Bell were the latest of these deeply appreciated encounters. With every step, I worried you had all stepped into matters far beyond your ability, foolishly marching into oblivion like I once had. I now know I was wrong. Those that twist the roads of history to their own dark ends want us to believe we can do nothing. They have no power in the face of such ancient, terrible machinations. I know they are wrong. True bravery is to stand in the face of fear and doubt and march ever on. True bravery inspires others to fall in line behind you and defy their illusions. You inspired me to fall in yours, and for that, I thank you. I have many debts to settle, gifts to dispense, now that my day is closed. Whatever sunset I may have been running from for far so far too long, I look forward to seeing Elia once more. I look forward to watching you all do great things from whatever realm calls me to rest. Remember me not just as a warrior, but as a friend. Friend in my own awkward way. Thank you. Now go stop now go stop this weird moon shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I like that they're like, did he really say that? <laughs> and then also is included a recipe for his ginger cookies. And then finally a part of a will that actually wills to Bell's Hell's uh turmoil, his like weapon, um, mm-hmm. but also the airship including a full year of expenses paid for the crew to work it. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're like, oh my gosh, Um, Chetney, well, not they, Chetney's the only one that's reading this at the moment, but he takes that, makes his way back out of the house to fill in everyone else on what he's seen. He also makes sure to grab uh, Estros's walking stick on the way out, which is presumably turmoil, the weapon. Um, The party's like, we need to go somewhere safe and process and talk this out. Um, so that's where the episode ends, but there's a brief moment that uh, Orem kind of interjects and is like, I want to take a look at that cane. And he makes a medicine check and recognizes the toxin that he saw used on his um, husband and father-in-law that prevents resurrections. So Orem can kind of smell that toxin um, in Estros's blood. And that's where the episode ends. Our man, Estros. <sighs> So that was episode 38, A Dark Balance of Campaign 3 of Critical Role. And if you're watching just the recap, click the link so you can see the whole video discussion. We want to hear what you have to say as well. Will, bro, what an episode, man. Pour one out, man, for our boy Eric's. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, we called it. We knew. We knew. We said it a long time ago that he's not long for this world. Took a little longer than we thought, but you know, the pixels, we always get our man. (laughs) Batten 100. We have never made any incorrect guesses. (laughs) But so, man, bummed though. Like, that's our boy, you know, even though, you know, we did kind of feel like it was coming at some point sucks and it also just kind of sucks that it was you know bell's hell's fault for kind of 
being the ones to reveal. I mean, their thoughts were detected, so it's not like they just gave up the name Estros, yeah. but you know, inevitably their actions led to his demise. Yeah, it's it's something that I wish I could have I could have seen that encounter with Estoros. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, him just fighting through the house against Adahan, I just think it would have been so epic. Oh yeah. Um, All the traps and everything. Oh man, yeah. I mean, you know, and we I think we talked about it maybe after that episode that Adahan had done the telekinesis or done the detect thoughts where we had said something like that it has to happen because otherwise, um, you know, Chekhov's gun, like these traps have to be, these have to go off at some point, you know? Yeah. So, um, but man, uh, it still hurt. And, you know, Matt having the actual physical letter was such a nice touch. Mm. Um, but yeah, they're, they're one source in Drusar now gone and presumably, I mean, are they going to deliver the letters to each person, I wonder? I think so. I mean, unless they, like, give them all to, like, Mr. or Lana Sasadri or, or something, since they may, yeah. they may trust her to do that. But, um, right. yeah, I uh, I want to talk about those letters, because I, I, I have notes down of who each one was to address yeah, to. Okay. Um, but, yeah, just sad, man. And uh we do know at least that he made some comment in the in the note i just read about like my foe won't soon forget like a certain wound he left them with or something so at least he presumably put up a good fight and uh i can't wait to see like the next time we we see odahan if there's like some big scar across her face or like she's missing a limb or something um yeah yeah just be cool yeah and i liked you know, maybe, maybe Laura Bailey said it, but they were like, um, "Are we, are we still Bell's hells, or now are we Bell and <laughs> oh, yeah. Estoros's hells?" <laughs> but I, I love. I mean, it sucks. It's tough, but I love how nefarious Adahan Thul is shaping up to be. Yeah, I mean, just like a, oh, I can't wait till this person gets like obliterated. Hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> so. Matt's done a great job crafting the story points just to, you know, ease in this character as a pretty despicable character. So, um, and yeah, yeah, it seems like, you know, using the poison um, has snuffed out any chance for uh, Estros to ever return. So, yeah, which what a, I mean, on the, on the, we've talked about like stakes and stuff a lot in our recent episodes. Um, but what just an interesting new like mechanic to enter into the campaign, which spoilers, but not really like that's never been in campaign one or two that like this, this thing that prevents resurrections in that way. Obviously there's other mechanics like already in the game where like, you know, the disintegrate spell kind of, mm-hmm. there's no body left. So some resurrections you have to at least have a body. So there are, you know, right. other ways that, a similar effect has happened, but um, yeah, this poison is just super interesting because I mean, they got lucky that in the first fight with her that she wasn't like ready, you know, presumably if we ever fight Odahan again, that poison's going to be good to go. So well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a Chekhov's gun in and of itself that we're getting so many breadcrumbs with it. It seems like the next encounter, you know, I just envision her like holding her sword and just, you know, like coating it. And now yeah. everyone like immediately knows 
Um, or, you know, it'd be a cool final moment where someone takes her own sword and like plunges it into Ooh, her heart. Kills her something. with it. Yeah. That would be so. sick. And then Orm says, no backseas for you. <laughs> Maybe something a little bit cooler. I don't know. <laughs> but so. yeah, I, uh, so full disclosure, when, when Chetney first walked in that room and Matt made the point of being like, something smells off with his blood. I the toxin wasn't even in my mind. The first thing I jumped to was one of the first things we talked about in like one of our first episodes of this, where we were like, "Is Estros a vampire?" And I was like, "He's a vampire. That's why his uh, blood smells different." Or you know, maybe not a vampire, but like he is yeah, something. something. Yeah. Um, but now that we know the toxin, yeah. I feel like that's obviously what Matt was referring to. But I was really excited for a second. Yeah. Sorry to say that I went straight to the toxin, but. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, Adahan presumably showing up at Estoros' place in the dark of night and taking care of a, maybe not loosen is the right word, but one of the biggest obstacles or pains in her side to um, whatever they have plans. You know, we still don't know what's going on with the Broomstone, but we know that they're familiar with Drusar, at least, and it being like a central shipping place. Um, how far are we, are, are we from the Apogee solstice? I think a month, a little okay. under maybe. Yeah. Which, you know, I, Matt pointed out that they had fought Thule just a few days prior. I don't know if it was actually a few days. I think they were towards the end of the, um, gentle repose, which was, I think 10 days. So it's, but it's been somewhere in that range, three to 10 days. Um, and that was how many sessions ago, I guess. A month ago six oh. weeks ago yeah or it didn't yeah i don't know because it doesn't feel like we had like an off week right so it feels like it right. was maybe four to six weeks ago but maybe only like three sessions ago type yeah of thing. okay yeah okay so i guess we'll see how fast things transpire yeah uh, i mean i guess that's a quick conversation we could have uh because i was been wondering about this too so we know that that this week there is no episode they're right. they're off and then i think there's so there will be an ep the first week of november of campaign three but then that following week is the first of the mighty nine special and then i think it's an off week for thanksgiving and then a second episode of the mighty nine special and then another episode of of campaign three which now we're in december and if they take they're obviously going to take the last week of december off because it's christmas as well as being the last of yeah. the month so we only maybe have three or four episodes of campaign three left this year which that's crazy yeah well let's do a little let's do a little calendar calendaring so this thursday they're off the next one's the third that they're on for when does okay. the mighty nine start the 10th or the 17th uh the the tenth and then it the twenty fourth because or wait twenty fourth is Thanksgiving okay so okay so maybe it's before Thanksgiving the last Thursday of the month is Thanksgiving okay okay so I bet it's the the first one is campaign three the second one's campaign three and then the seventeenth I guess would be part one of the mighty nine okay. and then coming back in December first part two. Yeah. So yeah, the eighth. So be one, two, three, four, maybe four episodes, maybe five. 
But yeah, that's crazy. How long are their breaks typically for like Christmas or like the holiday season? Do they yeah, take that's, a break? They usually do, I think, like a little bit longer than normal. But I guess since they're doing the whole last Thursday thing anyway this this time around, maybe it yeah. won't be an extend like as an extended a break. I can't honestly remember off the top of my head. For all I know, maybe they're always right back. But I think they at least take off like the the week after Christmas too, because that's usually New Year's and stuff. Like Bro, at the very catch, least, it's a couple weeks. Did you catch the detail in the session where Matt they were like maybe they're talking about like the airship or something, and they he said something like, you know, from this very place that you said goodbye to Dorian just a few weeks ago. Oh, I and, actually didn't catch that. Yeah, I was like bro a few weeks ago yeah that's crazy yeah it really is like time is so different from like the irl time yeah it reminds me of uh in playing D in general sometimes you'll have like you know i think about a i had like four or five sessions in a row but it was all in the span of one night yeah but it was over like two months and so <laughs> <laughs> it's weird how i guess time can just you know, can just go by. Yeah, for sure. And to that effect, I would imagine that there's no way we get to the apogee solstice before end of year. Like, I doubt that 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 happens before 2023. <laughs> I think. I think what we're gonna see is by the end of the year, them getting on the airship to go on to maybe EOS. Who knows? Um, I don't know if I see that happening this next episode because I see them kind of like wrapping up loose ends regarding Esteros, um, but possibly the one after that. But the point being, um, the airship, I would assume, is going to take maybe like a week's, of, week's worth of travel wherever they're going. Um, True. So that will move the story a little bit further towards the Apogee Solstice. Yeah, that's so, fair. I, I feel like... EOS is probably definitely where they're going as soon as they wrap up their affairs in uh, Drusar. It feels like that's where a lot of like the next threads are leading. Um, so yeah, that's a great point because I think it, it was probably at least a week's travel which there and back, I mean that's half the time toward the, sol the solstice. Not that they need to come back to Drusar, but um, yeah, that's interesting. So it's kind of it's kind of sad that we only have like a handful of episodes left um you know not that the end of the year is any mm -hmm. impactful place to draw a line to for for any meaning or anything but you know just it's, it's uh you know i need i need my critical role so i'm sad we don't have very much I left know, this year man. but i will say the last like 10 episodes i feel like the campaign has really hit like a deep stride of just like every episode is and there's been a little bit of critique of like certain gaps of like slowness. Um, I've really enjoyed the whole campaign. I think we both have, but like these last like 10 episodes have really, I'm saying 10 generically, maybe last seven or eight have really felt um, the stakes have been there. It's yeah. like, bro, what's going to happen next time? Yeah. So. Yeah. And we even talked about this in, in our recent episodes about kind of like the limbo and just like the high emotional stakes of, is Ladna dead? Is she coming back? And it kind of felt at the first half of this episode, we were getting to kind of like breathe a sigh of relief. Like they did it. 
they saved her and then we're just yeah. immediately hit with this gut punch of Ashros is dead. Um right. so I was kind of hoping for maybe a little bit of a uh you know lightheartedness, but it seems like we there might not be any room for that, at least for the foreseeable future. Um Yeah. When I was watching it and Imogen had her dream and it was the Estros in the dream and it the moment she realized it wasn't um Adahan, I was like, okay, well, would it be General Ratanish? Like who's who's like another warrior with like the Paragon's call? And then like I wasn't following, and then when she was like, Was that Lord Esteros? I was like, dude, no. No. Yeah. I've been I've been through enough just <laughs> <laughs> right? in the last few episodes. <laughs> so um he was a good NPC though. He was. You know? It kind of reminded me of uh old Bruce Wayne from Batman Beyond. Yeah, that's a great way to think of it. <laughs> you know, kind of mentoring sure. the next generation. Yeah, a recluse, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, okay, speaking of specifically the dream and, you know, Imogen seeing him, this is now the third time that we've seen this. Yeah. I'm wondering what exactly do we think this means? Because she doesn't see it for every time somebody dies. Like, she didn't see Laudna, which obviously there was the whole Laudna might be brought back situation, so maybe that's why she didn't. Um, but other people have died, and we know it's not a proximity thing, which was one thing we were thinking about, because we know the Loomis twins and also Estros were worlds away when this happened. So I'm wondering, is it just, you know, for the sake of telling a nice thematic narrative that you know, when it lines up this way, it's fun to kind of have these deaths appear in dream sequences and we shouldn't look into it further than that. Or is there something more here? Are all these people she happens to see Ruidus borns and connected to Ruidus in some way, just like she is? Is it because, you know, we got the the conversation about the divine gate, like maybe souls right. have to pass through the divine gate and the divine gates parallelism to Ruidus and Imogen's connection to that is letting her see this extra dimensional travel or I just what's your take on this if you yeah, have I one know. I mean uh, it kind of feels like column a a little bit in the sense of like I think what's interesting so she knew Esteros she knew Bertrand she they never actually met the Loomis twins right when she saw the stream so never met them um, they had never met her, didn't even know about her as far as we know. Right. Um, so it feels a little bit as like creative storytelling. Uh, it, it, I guess you could get into the weeds on like, is it a link to Adahan Thule? Is like the storm representative of like the greater evil that she represents and it, like it's sweeping up these major characters. But I think the point that you make, you point out is that we don't see any, anyone else. I mean, Presumably other people are dying <laughs> right. in this whole scheme. And so, um, I, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah, the Loomis twins were the ones that kind of made me think about the Ruidus born thing. Because presumably they were, since they were so I fascinated. Think, yeah, I think I think it was either heavily implied that they were or outright stated that they were. So that's why, like, maybe it could be a connection to there. Um, but... You know, I'm just not sure. I do, as far as the divine gate, I still don't know what to make of it if, like, 
so we know the divine gate separates it's like a it's like a dimensional barrier that you know humans can pass through but deities cannot right and so we're seeing it around ruidus i don't think that that means like ruidus is where all the gods are and we actually for for better or worse know that 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 is not the case because in previous campaigns there have been deities that have been interacted with and they weren't on ruidus um so i'm wondering if that's what the little barrier looked like not because it's like the home of the gods but it could be the home of some gods um but more so that it is not of this dimension and so similar to the gods locked behind the divine gate ruidus is behind the divine gate um am i like making sense like but they're yeah, not yeah. one and the same necessarily like I they're just both yeah, behind I mean, the divine gate i don't know if i agree only because i think it's percy or whatever they're talking to percy and vexalia about the divine gate he, he either he or someone makes the point to mention they talk about the divine gate and then they say now what's interesting about ruidus is that it's it's here in exandria so like that i think he even says like the divine gate we know was separating dimensions, but this, this is here. And so I don't, I don't know. Um, he doesn't know that though. He doesn't, you know, and, and he didn't know, he didn't even know it even was the case for Ruidus. Either. Right. Right. Um, but you know, it's also, you know, Matt Mercer also the one dialoguing. So, you know, I don't know the expression for when you say something that you don't even realize you're thinking, but right. Uh, I don't know. I uh, I'm not against that. I just no, no. saying that's not where I'm where my mind went is all I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. Uh, what's interesting though is that Brutus is in Exandria. You know, you can see it up in the sky, but you can also see it in the Feywild, and those are two different dimensions true so it would that's if fair. it was in its own third separate dimension maybe that's why both can see it because they both just have a with the apogee solstice coming up and the barriers between the the places thinning right maybe that's why it's now showing up in the Feywild too and i don't know i don't know why you could always see it in exandria but maybe that's just because that's where it originally was banished from or something but yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of just rambling right now, but I just thought it was kind of curious that, I mean, we obviously knew that the lattice resembled the divine gate, um, but I felt like with Percy's comments here, we got a bit more confirmation that like it literally was the divine gate. So it, it does. Well, not, I mean, not the divine gate, not the same one, right? I mean, I don't know. I the way I'm picturing it in my mind, which take that with a grain of salt, is that the divine gate just exists as a dimensional barrier. So like it yeah. exists at this point in space-time over here, but it also exists infinitely far yeah. in that direction over here. So like they're just happen like Rudus is behind it, so you can see it around Rudus. Right. But it also exists, you know, where Pelor is it's, in his realm. It's like our ozone basically yeah so like you it's know? yeah so you can see like the moon over here but there's also yeah like avernus or whatever other realms you know over here whereas fgg likes to describe it you know the flat earth and yeah. then it's <laughs> above us or below us uh yeah so that's my get, current 
understand. I guess I can get behind that. Um, yeah, I mean, it kind of makes sense that you know it is the one and the same. I also kind of like the um, theory we talked about several episodes ago on it being like a a pre divine gate, like these two gods that um, no one seems to know who they are. That um, which I think it's interesting story point by the way that Matt has chosen not one god that was lost but two. Like I'm wondering yeah. the interaction there. That's very interesting. Because um, if I'm writing a story, I'd be like, yeah, the god, the god that was forgotten, the god that was locked away, but he for whatever reason intentionally chose two, which I, I think is just interesting. Um, so I kind of see it as like a pre calamity. Um, what we talked about from the um, the source book, um, I can't think of it. Call of the Nether Deep. Mm. You know, two gods that were locked away behind a pre early version of the Divine Gate, and you know, it you know, corrupts from its influence from a distance, maybe post calamity. I don't know. Um, but yeah, like a, like a prototype, they did that for that reason then. And then, you know, later when they realized we got a step away from humanity, but they're like, remember that time we did the thing with Rudis? Let's do that again, but with right. us. So yeah, entirely possible that it's just not the exact same divine gate. Uh, but yeah, just so curious about, the fact that she keeps seeing these people die and maybe it's just simply because of what we've talked about but also maybe and we i've touched on this at some point previously if rudis and whatever gods or power are behind it is kind of like the antithesis to the luxon we've talked about how um people in the luxon faith um can be consecuted where their souls go get stored in these beacons Maybe things, I feel like you're messing with me. <laughs> maybe, so out there. Maybe these, maybe these people's souls are being stored or passing through Rudis via a similar mechanic, if you will, to yeah, the so, Luxon beacons and consecuted yeah. souls. So, so that theory I actually do like, and I was thinking of something similar, and I don't remember if there was like a phrasing about. Um, maybe when Orm was asking for clarification on the blood on the staff, um, there was, and I need to go back and like, I think it's going to be impossible to find this. So you guys, if you know what I'm talking about, let me know in the comments, his phrasing was so interesting. Cause he said something about, it was like, yeah, this blood, it's familiar. It's, you know, the toxin that seemed to like seal away or pull away or lock away. There was some kind of phrasing like that. That was so interesting. But it made me go to what you're talking about, like this antithesis of the Luxon, where these souls are being consumed by the storm and held and used for something nefarious. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And it also just in the in the world of like fantasy D and D, it wouldn't be the first time that you know there'd be something evil that's like you know taking souls. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think it's a really I think it's a really great. Um, theory and that's what i'm going to get behind as well i I don't think it's just like you're super dead so you can't come back but that something is happening to these spirits yeah i mean that does kind of make sense right like if not to get too in the weeds on this but mechanically if we're thinking about we've just talked about this with pike how like mechanically it works to res somebody you go retrieve their soul 
So if right. you if, if they can't be resed, why not? If like yeah. it, maybe because that's kind of sad, right? Like Estros and Bertrand and or, or not necessarily Bertrand. I guess he he probably didn't die that. to the toxin. I don't think Duggar was that his name. Yeah, I assume yeah, he probably right. didn't have the toxin, but um, you know, Will and Derek and now Estros are they like being not necessarily tortured eternally, but like locked away eternally not actually able to go to their afterlife like that's pretty depressing but it would make it would make sense mechanically for why they couldn't be rezzed well and there's been items there's been items that you know store characters souls and since matt has has used a data point with the luxon particularly um i think that's why i really like that theory uh so we're going to slap our official pixelist <laughs> stamp of approval on this theory we're going to ship it Boom. and uh when it's correct we're going to tell you guys how right we were and if it doesn't happen then we'll never mention it again yeah, i'll never talk about it <laughs> so great i think it's a great theory i'm definitely behind it all right yeah i mean i'm hoping hopefully we find out more um so as far as divine gate Estros, all of that jazz are you good to yeah to move on to the next thing yeah. um one quick thing i wanted to mention uh in my notes there's not really a good place to talk about this but just uh no mercy percy man those of you guys that watch campaign one know what i'm talking about and like you probably even saw a little bit of this in the episodes you watched but that was just kind of one of his uh nicknames and I feel like that was just on full display how there was like the literal army waiting outside and Percy like had his sniper rifle basically ready to go. Um, I just love that little like peek into his characterization for uh, for Bell's Hells to kind of see, but also for people that maybe didn't watch campaign one to see as well. Um, so just love that like flavor moment of being included. Um, yeah. And speaking of just that, whole interaction um it was really interesting that delilah was not actually removed from ladna we had theorized like what could happen is she going to come back would we even possibly see more of her um the fact that she's heavily reduced makes me wonder if she's turned her sights elsewhere like for another means back to exandria or whatever their plan is but like still has like the door open to Ladna or if Delilah has been actually in sundering the tree her power authority whatever has been heavily reduced mm-hmm. I don't know but um surprised that she wasn't split I kind of thought that's where the story was going yeah I I I don't know what to make of this because it was was it Pike who originally or was it like did the words come out of Pike's mouth or was Matt just kind of answering marisha or the table when he said that like no she's not completely gone it was pike because was pike. Okay. pike says pike says like oh she's still there just heavily reduced and someone says but we killed her and then pike says well we killed her a bunch of times yeah so and that was before the res though right like that was like right, right when they got out right which so she says that but then when they res laudna you know pike does like the same thing she did to kind of fcg when fcg got to see their soul it was like a similar moment where she was like checking and she's like oh it's laudna so we got like she's still there but also this like pseudo confirmation that not that she was gone i guess but that at least 
this woman that's back here now is Ladna and not like Delilah putting on a ruse. Right. So it's, it's, I don't know. There's kind of a weird, like, is it okay to feel like we're good now? Or is there still the possibility that, that something could go wrong? You know? Um, yeah. And maybe there just wasn't the space to like really digest it. Yeah. But it does feel like there's like a missing conversation there of like, can we trust Ladna with magical items? Like, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what I'm trying to find it, I can't find it in my notes. There was some point where they asked Pike a question too, and Pika was like, "Yeah." And then someone did like an insight check to see if she was lying, and they rolled like a five, and they were like, "Yep, seems she seems pretty honest." But it almost felt like oh. she was maybe lying on behalf of the party or something. I think I, I I remember that moment now, but I can't remember what it was. But I don't know. On this topic of oh, I found it. Oh, go ahead. Um. Uh. Oh, so um, it's it's where it's exactly what we're just talking about, like her spirit form, like her spirit essence. When she comes back, Ladna basically asks Pike something around like am i am i wholly me or was delilah present and pike says hey it's just you you're good and then there's the insight check and it's a five and i i thought in that moment like is she just like does pike being pike just want to like believe in the best of them and just keep their eyes set on like the right thing or was she or was she full-on lying is kind of what i was wondering so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I remember that now. And it wouldn't like, it wouldn't make sense for her to lie, you know, like, well, cause Vex, Vex had the bow. Right. Bow and arrow. Right. So maybe, maybe she just didn't want Vex to kill her. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, but seemingly if there was like a true threat, Pike would say something, but maybe like she did still like sense the presence, but maybe it's super, super diluted that Pike didn't want Vex to kill her. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, there's definitely something to think about there. And on this, uh, I was so on edge during like the next scene. I don't know if you felt this way. I, w- I was talking in the Discord when I was watching this episode, and I, at least the other people that were there at the time, weren't getting this vibe, but I was. When you know, Lana wanted to go touch the tree and feel it was warm, um, it was like everybody come touch it, like Percy come touch it. <laughs> it wasn't like that, but that's how I was it reading was. it. And then she even. Yeah. She even says, like, I put my hand on Percy's. And I was like, oh, God, like, they're touching the tree. Like, that was Delilah's, like, phylactery, basically, in the nightmare yeah. zone. And I was like, is she, like, luring everybody to this tree to, like, to spring the trap? And I just kept yeah. getting those vibes. But then nothing happened. Um, there was definitely, like, a moment from Percy being like, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. He's like, come on, touch it. You know? And you're like, uh, <laughs> okay. So I... Oh. I also think it could just, it was just makes sense for there to be nothing into what I'm reading about. And it's just Laudna like processing and, you know, being back and uh, just wanting to like share this moment with everyone. Like, like, look, it's warm. Cause that's like new to her, you know? Right. Um, but it made me uneasy and I was like waiting for the other shoe to drop. And right. then later when they were going to bed and she's like, no, let's go sleep next to the sun tree. I was like, Oh, like <laughs> what's she going to do Enough but- about the sun tree? <laughs> But nothing Stop happened about the sun. <laughs> but all kind of leading into that conversation of is Delilah still there? I'm kind right. of going to be having these moments at times when she maybe does stuff that makes me a little sus. If is that Delilah or is she still there? Um, right. 
but or go ahead. Well, no, I was just gonna. We talked about it last episode. Like, there's definitely like a carefulness of like it's Delilah again. <laughs> yeah, you know. So, uh, I wonder if Delilah will pop up again before the end of the campaign, or and also just in general, I'm a little confused as to what's going on with Ladna. Like we talked about, what does this mean for Ladna? We had like the weird branchy thing happening when she touched the tree. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking, I, I was actually wondering, like, did her patron change? Like, what's happening? She also gave Imogen uh, her uh, blood well vial, which right. gives her back the sorcery points. And was like, right. I don't really need it anymore. And she said Wither and Bloom like helps her with that or something, which isn't how it works. The whole thing was confusing. But my walk away from it was, did she, was Delilah... We we talked about Delilah being her warlock points or warlock levels. Is it possible that Delilah was her sorcery levels and she like rolled those over? I I don't know. I just it was it was an interesting conversation because I didn't know if she was just being generous, like, eh, you're probably gonna need it more than me. Or if it was like Or she like didn't actually, need it anymore. I actually don't need it anymore because I don't yeah. have sorcery points. So that's really I interesting. I hadn't even considered that angle. But regardless, um, though, I'm like, what what is going on with Ladna? What's the deal with Ladna? Yeah, you know? same. That's actually where I was going next is that whole those moments with the sun tree that I just described. And then also the moment where her form of dread like became what it was. Right. Like that's a lot of focus and intentional detail on the sun tree. So I'm wondering, is it her new patron? Is... um like the sun tree itself or and now of course i can't think of this when i'm trying to think of it but the, the deity that like gifted the sun tree uh i know Pelo, pelor is the deity that like whitestone worships but i think the sun tree was like like another god's representation i could be wrong but it's kind of beside the point right now uh, is that her new deity is it the sun tree literally you know what's going on here there seem to be a lot of emphasis especially with the changed an aesthetic for her form of dread that like surely that wasn't nothing um, it was definitely it was definitely intentional to something right right especially with how often she's described her form of dread something has happened there that i'm interested to see what that yeah. means and she certainly to your point about like the sorcery levels versus the warlock she certainly is still a warlock because the ability that lets her have pate as a familiar is a warlock one it's the pact of the chain so she has unless she's like i mean who knows maybe it's something completely out of left field or homebrewed or whatever but presumably that's where she's gotten the pate familiar from is from that right. pact which is a warlock yeah. thing because one of your choices with pact of the chain is an imp which matt clarifies later in the session that pate is an imp mm -hmm. so yeah that was our confirmation that she still has her warlock levels for sure so presumably, unless there was some swapping action like you brought up, presumably she still has her warlock stuff. So new patron. Or like we talked about, maybe Delilah was never the patron and was just like the parasite type of thing you were talking about. Yeah, that's interesting to me because um, it was my idea. But I do... <laughs> I think the simplest route is Delilah was her patron. Delilah's gone. What happened to her warlock levels? She still has them. So could it be that actually maybe this dragon in front of the sun? We don't know. 
something else was her patron. She already was special, as Delilah pointed out, and Delilah parasitically, you know, jumped onto that, subverted herself as the patron, but also coincidentally added the sorcerer levels. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And maybe it even was brought up during the episode, but I didn't catch on to it. You know how they like flash the character sheets up? Yeah. I wonder yeah. if hers came up, what it said, if it said like, you know, warlock, whatever, sorcerer, whatever. And they might keep it as it is until like a big until story. Until there's a reveal, like, yeah. Like Travis with Chetney yeah, that's actually a being a blood hunter instead of a rogue. Right. Just um, such a great, that was such a great moment. But um, I don't know. We'll have to keep an eye on it. It'll, probably all of our questions will get answered next episode. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> um, yeah. Right. Well, so yeah, yeah. What what else you want to talk about? Uh, just diving th- to the end here. Just diving through my notes really quick. Um, uh, okay, there is just a couple things that I had notes on. One, really quick again, the. I cannot believe that Fern got Percy to make her a gun for her monkey. Oh my uh, gosh. How did I not mention this in the <laughs> recap? <laughs> I just, yeah. I thought that was hilarious. And she like, that was like one of the only good roles of the night. It felt like was her was persuasion check there. Someone watching like Alexandria unlimited or watching early of this campaign and then like skipping and watching like, I'm just going to watch Critical Role tonight. <laughs> and then, all right, Monkey pulls out his gun and shoots. <laughs> you know, I'll be like, wait, what? The like, drawing the line is just so funny to me. Was, yeah, that was great. Um, so I wanted to mention that. Uh, too quickly, Estrosh in these letters. I just wanted to run through the names that we actually heard. Um, we got Evelyn West, which I believe is like that was it's her uh, steward. Yeah, and clearly he was in love with her, I feel like, based on... Which we had been wondering... Whoa, 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 hang on. Are we talking about the person who... Sorry. I thought Evelyn was the oh, person who's like the assistant. I think you're right. I think you're right, actually. And then uh, e- e- Elia, uh, Edria, yeah. something. That's the one that, yes. Okay, clearly, that's what I meant then. Because he says in his letter, I'm going to go see her going now. Going to see her something. again, yeah. So we kind of have that question answered of why she gifted him her estate and everything. So it was kind of nice to get that soft confirmation. Um, But so Evelyn is his steward, like you said, or whatever. Lex and Minar, uh, that didn't ring a bell for me. I think that's new. Okay. Uh, Chief Wilder, uh, Namin Oros, which I guess is just like the police chief of um oh right because the wilders weren't those like the the guards i didn't i didn't know what it was i was like are they from wild mount like what is that (laughs) (laughs) it was way off and i didn't like i should have because we have a podcast but i didn't actually like go look that up but that's what i thought that was so hopefully that's correct yeah um which is kind of interesting that i mean we know estros was had his kind of fingers around and was trying to you know make things better for the city but it's interesting to know that like he had that direct contact with the chief, at least presumably. Um, we have Ajit Dial, who that makes sense. Yep. Um, Mistress Orlana Sasadri. Yep. Yep. And then Manaya Ture was one too, which obviously we knew they were friends and like she owed him a favor. Um, but important enough to have one of these letters. And then Bell's Hells. And then there might have been other ones, but those were the only ones that were listed. Um, right. So really the. I mean, I'm curious as to what the contents of each letter is. Not that I think they will read them, nor should they. But um, that Lex Eminar, since that's the one 
that I had no recollection of. I'm very curious who that is. Yeah, and I, it's why I wonder if maybe the next episode will be why they won't be going anywhere next episode, but that they'll kind of be delivering these letters. I, I guess they could go to Mr. Shishadri and Orlando Shishadri and hand them off, but I think they're going to follow up with, hey, who who is this person? Um, because ultimately, these are we know there's corruption in the city. We know that Estros is working against it. But these, this is basically a list of people you can trust um, that Matt's handing them. Yeah. So I, I would love it personally if they did kind of try to find each person and, and deliver them themselves. But I wouldn't be surprised if they just gave them all to Orlana. Right. Um, then the only other thing, at least that I have in my notes right now, that I at least wanted to touch on uh, real quick was um, the Temple of the Changebringer and the FCG. Uh just curious for your take on this, because, you know, sometimes I read too much into things. <laughs> the fact that he, like, without a moment's hesitation, was like, smiley day. I was like, is that like a thing that, that Changebringer people say? But no, did you rewind to see if he, I guess we couldn't rewind. I need to go back to the YouTube VOD. I need to see if he said it when he got there. Because when he when she said smiley day, I was like, did he introduce himself with that? Or did this person just like, in a weird spiritual way... You know what I'm saying? I picked up on yeah. the exact same thing. So I I was I don't remember who said it first, but even if FCG said it first, he said it with such like yeah. comfortability immediately. Yeah. yeah, that I was like, is yeah. this like a thing? Which would be such a cool like yeah. if it was a thing. So I was wondering that, and I'm glad you kind of picked up on that too. Well, but, and I personally I have to wrap up here, but I just want to say on that detail, um, I love just the story nuance of FCG as the soulless robot being the party member indulging in spirituality and religion. It's just kind of like a nice irony, I yeah. feel like. He has so. a soul, by the way. I but no, I know I know what you're saying. So <laughs> um uh if you should we just do the thumbnail real quick? Do you gotta like I got like two or three minutes. Okay, then that's 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 all I need. Um okay. the only other thing about just the change bringer and kind of how this maybe is interconnected through the story as a whole um we have briefly talked about elixian at times on this podcast and hey we have a tiktok if you're interested more about elixian and what i'm about to talk into <laughs> more in depth TikTok. Check, uh, there, three, there's but, three yeah. uh check that out uh because i don't have time to go over it right now but uh the pixelists on tiktok is where you can find it right but elixian for for those of you that don't know was this hero um he battled grumpsh which has been referenced in recent right. episodes uh with that cult anyway he is sleeping underneath um not drusar on corel um deep in like another plane anyway uh he's kind of trapped there and one of the he was a champion of three gods uh the changebringer is one of those three. Oh. And one of like the famous artifacts he had back when he was like this legendary hero was called the Jewel of Three Prayers, which three prayers for each of the three gods. Anyway, the Changebringer is wow. one of those three gods. I'm wondering if, and this this part's kind of unrelated to the theory as a whole, but like the three things on FCG's yeah thing. I'm wondering if there's some sort of relation there, but the. Part of the story of Elixian and this jewel is that like it's calling out to heroes like to oh. ultimately go help Elixian. So yeah. what if part of FCG's story was ultimately that like they learn about Elixian and all this lore, given how it's surrounding yeah. the campaign in a way, 
and they either got to go find the jewel of three pairs and then go help him or I don't know. I'm just wondering if that I, could potentially be a facet of his story later on. Bro, I'm like in the dark. I didn't even realize the change bringer was one of those deities. So that's a massive like connection with the story. And what's um, interesting is another one is the moon weaver, which ruidus having to do with everything in this campaign as well. And plus, obviously we know Elixian's connection to ruidus. All right. Something for us to stew on yep. for our next meeting. Um, we got to do a quick thumbnail and then I got to go. Uh, any ideas? Adult stuff. Um, I don't know. We could do something re- related to Estros or Ladna. Either like, yay, or. Uh, How about one of know. us is yay and the other one's sad? <laughs> okay. Which one do you want to be? Uh, I'll be sad. Okay. All right. Nice. <laughs> I feel like it's going to look like I'm just bullying you or something. <laughs> Perfect. All right, guys. But don't forget to check us out on uh, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, whatever. On YouTube, we're <laughs> the Pixelist YT. On Twitter, we're the Pixelist. And on TikTok, what's our handle? The Pixelist. You can check us out and let us know what you thought about the episode. We want to hear about it. Um, stay tuned later this week for our Rings of Power. Should you watch it, we're going to be talking about it on the podcast. Thanks for listening and I'll catch you later. Bye y'all.